Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, Jesus has a, a way of catching us off guard with his, with his words. He, he has a tendency to jar us out of our comfort zone from time to time, to shock and surprise us, not only with words that are unexpected, but, but even more above and beyond what we could have anticipated. And as you heard the gospel this morning, Jesus spoke some of those very words that undoubtedly caught you off guard. He said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You can almost imagine Jesus speaking those words that definitely catch us off guard. And in the original, it's very clear that that was Jesus' intent, that he was anticipating we would expect him to say something else. Imagine Jesus standing in front of you, if you were there when he first spoke these words, as if he's hiding something behind his back that he's waiting to give to you. Now, if you know Jesus, you would expect a good gift, a blessing. Maybe you'd expect him to reveal an olive branch, a symbol for us today of peace. But instead, almost in dramatic fashion, you can imagine Jesus utilizing a visual aid and making a swiping motion to say, no, no, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, but division, quite the opposite of what we would expect him to say, especially the more familiar we are with Scripture. Those that that know how the Bible talked about Jesus prior to his arrival on the scene here on earth, well, we know how he was described. Think of Christmas time, the, the hymns, the carols that we sing. We sing and we address the title, the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah calls him. And not just that example, but even the angels themselves, when they heralded on the day of Jesus' birth, what were the words that that they spoke in Luke chapter 2? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So in stark contrast to what we would expect based on how Scripture talked about Jesus in these favorable terms, He totally, totally catches us off guard and shocks us. We'd expect peace and He says, nope, contrary to popular belief, that's not what I came to bring. Imagine if you were going to be meeting an individual and and everybody that, that you know who already knows this person describes this person as just the nicest, kindest person, the sweetest individual you would ever meet. And then when you finally meet this person, the first thing out of that person's mouth is, I hate people and I don't like you. You would rightfully be taken aback. You'd be caught off guard because everything that everybody else told you about that individual led you to believe this was going to be somebody really sweet, somebody kind, the nicest person you ever met. What a shocking contrast. How much more so for Jesus, for whom the Scripture rolls out the red carpet in flattering positive descriptions all throughout the Old Testament and even the New as to what He would come to do. And then He says and drops that bomb, no, no, it's not what you thought. Rather, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
reality check in, in 2020. As I already mentioned, we live perhaps in, in as divisive a time as many of us can recall. And maybe for that reason, Jesus' words aren't actually as shocking as they might have been in previous generations. Because division is the norm. It's the new normal. It's what we expect when we read headlines or read people's opinions. Uh, anything in this day and age is divisive. In fact, the only way to really safeguard against it is to just keep your mouth shut and not say anything, not express your opinion. The only problem is that somebody will take you to task for not saying something. But then when you do, as you probably know from experience, there's somebody who has a different view or a different opinion waiting to rebut your view. And, might I add, not nicely. See, maybe that's the thing that stands out the most. It seems to me, at least in the past, we've been able to have disagreements as, as a nation, as a country. We've been able to, to disagree about things, to have different viewpoints, but we discussed it in a civil way. That we were able to exercise some self-control when I realized somebody maybe didn't share the same opinion that, that I do. And granted, some topics were just off limits. We knew that if they were going to be contentious, then we avoided them. Not that that's always the best approach to take, but at least we exercised some wisdom in not trying to, to rile or agitate others up. This has become clear, I, I think, in the last uh, several weeks as our nation has been reviewing um, individuals, monuments, statues from certain periods of history and reconsidering what they represent or what they stand for. People that we used to celebrate or again commemorate, now we're, we're rethinking that. And, and this isn't the place to discuss that. But a lot of those are tied to a, a tragic time in our history, the Civil War. And I don't know if, if you've had these thoughts, but I found myself surrounding all that Civil War history asking, could it ever happen again? Could our country ever get to that point again where we would have to endure something so tragic as a civil war. And it's terrifying that, that we would even be in a climate that, that would allow us to entertain such a question. And yet my conclusion was that I don't think we have to really worry about it all that much because we are actually so divided that I don't think any two sides could agree on what to disagree on. There's so many overlapping viewpoints that you couldn't just have two clear-cut sides that would oppose each other. That is how divided we are as, as a nation. Democrat, Republican. Mask, no mask. Biden, Trump. Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Is, the conspiracy, is COVID a conspiracy or a legitimate concern? And the division goes on and on and on. But you know the division that Jesus spoke of? It actually wasn't about any of that. It wasn't about the, the divisiveness of, of our nation or country right now. No, Jesus' division was about a much more serious matter. The division that exists between God and men because of sin. He described that pretty clearly as he went on in verses 35 and, and 36 to say, 
For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So there's no wiggle room for trying to put the best construction on Jesus' words here. We might understand if he said, I'm coming into the world and you know your enemies, the ones that you already don't get along with, you are going to be even more deeply divided with them when I show up. But that wasn't his point. His point was, in fact, that your enemies are, are literally going to be the people under your own roof, your family members, the ones near to you and closest to you. Jesus goes on to, to further explain the, the real source of this divisiveness. And it's kind of a, a tough pill to swallow when we hear what he has to say. In verses 37 and 38 and 39, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus uses extreme language here to make his point very clear. The issue of our divisiveness is our love and our attraction to the things of this world over and above God himself. And we show that in any number of different ways in our world, don't we? Sure, it's within our Christian freedom to exercise our opinions. In fact, we are called to be good, dutiful, obedient, law-abiding citizens. And, and we live in a nation where we can exercise those freedoms. But what happens when I am so driven by a social or a political cause that that is what I'm consumed with, so much so that maybe my love for Jesus is not as prevalent in my heart anymore because I am so consumed by this cause. Or when I, I choose my relationship with an unbelieving family member, the one that I know doesn't share my faith in Jesus, and yet Jesus never comes up in the conversation because of how I value that relationship. And then what ends up happening is Jesus gets doubly slighted once by your family member who already doesn't love or believe in Jesus, but also then by, by you who have chosen to make that relationship with your family member more important than your family member's relationship with Jesus and perhaps even your own relationship with Jesus. Or when we ignore any opportunity to go without or to do without or to make a sacrifice, not just a significant one, but, but sometimes even just the slight, trivial sacrifice for my neighbor to go without or to do without for their sake, am I not really leaving in those cases untouched the very cross that Jesus calls us to carry? And when my, my faith falters, when I, when I ought to, to stand up strong, isn't that what's happening when I make a greater priority of my success goals in this life over my spiritual goals? As Jesus warned, am I not really making this life the life that matters instead of the next life? And what does Jesus say about all of these, about any of these that, that we're guilty of? It's, it's not a question mark. He says very clearly, anyone who does these things is not worthy of me. 
it kind of sheds light on Jesus' initial words that caught us off guard. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Because in light of his explanation, we realize it's not Jesus who is at fault for all of this division, but it's us. He came into this world to actually show us unconditional love and grace and mercy. And then when he, when he asks the same of us for him, all it ends up doing is exposing how much we love the people and the things of this world more than him. And God's word is very clear on, on what the result of that is. The one who is worthy became unworthy for us and, and yet... In light of that, all it shows is our unworthiness again and again and again. We don't deserve anything but punishment, certainly not peace. But just as clear as God's word is on that truth, so also is it very clear on another and more important truth. Listen to the words of the the prophet Isaiah. We could even perhaps call him the prophet of peace. When in depicting Jesus and describing Jesus, he says this in chapter 53, verse 5, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah is telling us very clearly that that it was the, the worthy one who became unworthy for us, that it was the Prince of Peace himself who was pierced and who was punished so that we could have peace, the Christ who was crushed so that we could be declared at peace with God. Absolutely amazing. And you know why that hits home for us so much? Because when we are reminded that we are the source of that division, and lest you, lest you doubt that, lest you think that the division is something that's out there in the world and we're just asked to kind of deal with it or accommodate it, let me remind you of, of how Scripture paints a picture of our heart. In James chapter 5, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Which, aren't those really ways of saying that you divide? I I recently finished a a book by an author who's also a a pastor, and he has an interesting uh, practice when his kids, his little kids, are fighting. He he intervenes and he stops both of the, the children, and he says to them, repeat after me. Let me tell you what the real problem here is. I'm not getting my way. I think it's genius. And it doesn't just apply to children, does it? Because every one of us knows that division, divisiveness comes because I'm not getting my way. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not convincing somebody else to see things my way. And so we fight and we argue and we quarrel. And yet it's It's to those individuals, it's to you and me who have this in our heart naturally to be this divisive that Isaiah tells us, though you deserve that punishment, every ounce of it, 
The Prince of Peace was punished and pierced in your place. Christ was crushed for you. The result is that you are at peace with God. And I don't care what the headlines are this week or next or what the news stories are going to be because they are not going to change the peace that exists between God and men through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, the prophet of peace paints a picture for us in chapter 54 now this time. He says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you. Perhaps if we could take a liberty and and make these words a little more timely or appropriate, we could tweak them just a little bit for Isaiah to say, though politics polarize, though pandemics paralyze, nevertheless, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you. The peace that was won for you through Jesus cannot be removed or ever done away with. Nothing is going to change that. And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, now, since we are at peace with God through Jesus, now and only now do we actually have the foundation to pursue peace with our fellow man. Because you realize that any attempt, any effort at trying to be at peace with fellow man is always going to be a futile effort if this peace doesn't first exist between God and men. But now, as Isaiah reminds us now, because that peace does exist with God, we actually can pursue peace with our fellow men and women. So that means that things change for us. Now, rather than than contributing to all of the poison that that is the the cause of this divisiveness from hiding behind our keyboards and and slinging off some vitriol or right behind somebody's back or even to their face, this peace that we have with God changes us. So now maybe maybe I I close this more often and I open these a little bit more to listen to others. Maybe that means that I don't fill myself or or consume content or posts or people who I know are going to irritate and agitate me to get a response from me. Maybe it means a whole lot of different changes in our lives. Maybe. But definitely, it means one thing. It means that in this day and age of divisiveness, you and me, we, we have a responsibility. We have an obligation to bring to this hurting world a healing Savior who can bridge the gap of divisiveness. This is not optional for us, perhaps in this day and age, as it ever has been in the past. The hurting world needs its healing Savior, and we cannot stand by and say nothing when we have that peace to proclaim. This is how the prophet of peace, again, Isaiah, he pictured it. In chapter 52, verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace 
who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. In some ways, I, I feel a little bit sad for our confirmands because this is the world into which they're being confirmed to strengthen their faith and stay close to Jesus and it's going to be as difficult as it ever has been. But maybe there's a, a different way to look at it. Rather than feeling sorry for them to, to have to, to live out their faith in, in this divided world, maybe instead we can look to them to be the examples that we have not been so often. To be bold in their proclamation and their, their passionate declaration of peace through Jesus to others. Maybe they'll set the example for us and for the next generation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this truth remains because of Jesus, you are at peace with God, which frees us to pursue peace with fellow man. We can be a solution to the divisiveness if we point people to the only solution, Jesus. Because in Him you have a peace that has been promised, a peace that has been paid for, a peace that has been made permanent through Jesus. That peace is yours through Jesus. Now, go out and make it theirs. Amen.